from the Teradata Pulse Real-Time Operations Center in San Diego, California. This is Datacast. Hi, who are you? Well, Charles, I'm Carrie Ballinger. Tell me about what you do. I work for Teradata Corporation. Um, I'm, I've always been, in my 30 years with a company, uh, individual technical contributor. I'm a very curious person, and I love the technology. I currently work in an organization called Technology and Innovation Office. So, Carrie, I, I heard you talking very intensely about something called workload management with someone recently. What is that in the context of a database? Well, you're right. I do talk about workload management frequently and with great passion, actually. Unfortunately, the term workload management always sounds to me as some kind of all-encompassing big category of stuff related to what's running in the database. I like to think about workload management in a more practical way because it's very much like traffic control. Let's look at the example of downtown Manhattan. I don't know if you're from the East Coast, Charles. Or I've been there. You've so, been there. Everyone's yeah, been through New York sure. at one time or another. And think about the traffic patterns and what they would be like if there were no stoplights, there were no bus lanes, there were no one-way streets. It'd be a nightmare. There were no bike lanes, and, and probably any day now there will be scooter lanes. Yeah, oh my gosh. And that's what a world or a database world without workload management looks like. If you're running on your database a single application, then you probably don't really need workload management because you don't need protection for your SLA work. SLA for folks who may not be familiar. So SLA is stands for Service Level Agreement. And it's a term that means there are strict defined expectations by the end user population for their work when it's running in your database. Ah, uh, I see. So as a, as a customer, when I look up a zip code or whatever, I want that result to be fast. Yeah, think about a call center. We all love calling call centers. <laughs> yeah, totally. My favorite thing to do on a Saturday. Um, but it's very important the people that on the phone with a customer have near instant access to information about that customer, whether it's an insurance company or a health company, whatever your business model is. And so there are often SLAs associated or service level agreements associated with those requests that are pulling up your and my information when we're on the phone with a help desk. Okay. That has to be very fast. And the same thing if your customers are going to your website to purchase something, you want to make sure they have a speedy experience and don't get stuck waiting two, three, five, ten seconds to make that purchase. Right. So if all your database is doing is those important lookups to support your dashboard and your call centers, then workload management is probably not important. But what we found is a lot of customers run a mixed workload in their database. They may have loading going on at the same time as their call center is querying for customer data. Uh, they may have um, analytic applications running at the same time. They might have reports that are important to the business running. And so the work that is critical and it is short running and that the business believes is very important needs to be protected. Just like we need to protect those bicyclists out there in Manhattan. Right. And just like we need to make sure that fire engines and ambulances and police cars, when they have their sirens running, part of workload management and traffic control is 
getting everyone else over the side of the road so that those emergency vehicles can get through when they have to. I love the metaphor, by the way. <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, because you may have uh, a truck uh, unloading restaurant goods, but you know, traffic still has to move. Buses still have to get where they're going on time. And here's the interesting thing, Charles, I've observed, both in traffic and in databases. If you've got a bottleneck in one place, so you've got gridlock on a critical intersection in Manhattan, the lights are out, cars are trying to get through that intersection, but they're not always being polite, which is sometimes the case in New York City. You have gridlock in one part of your domain, and that means the bandwidth in other roads is going to go down because of that because the traffic can't get through this gridlock area so that it can rapidly populate the other roads. So overall throughput for traffic everywhere in the city will be impacted by a single bottleneck or may be impacted by a single bottleneck. And, and we find that true in the database as well. So just like on a highway, if there's an accident, it may throw... Uh, tens of thousands of commuters off their journey. And people that aren't even on that road could be affected because a spillover might right. be in. You know, we, <laughs> yeah. In LA, we live on a street that ends up being a, um, a substitute for traffic on the 405. And when the traffic on the 405 is blocked, sometimes we have trouble getting out of our oh driveway. Oh my gosh, wow. So it's personal with me. <laughs> so workload management is the thing that kind of carves out these special lanes, I guess, for important things? Well, that's one of the things workload management does. Um, the most important thing that workload management does, Charles, is it allows the business priorities to be expressed when there's a mix of work going on. It lets the uh, priority administrator, through conversations with the business and all of the uh, contributors to the activity on the database, but it allows that priority administrator to set up workload management rules that will realize the business priorities. And often that means there's super priority work like those call center and dashboard calls, but there's also other important critical reports like Monday morning reports perhaps mm -hmm. in retail or month-end processing. At certain times of the year or times of the month, it's really important that that work get an extra boost in priority. And if you don't have workload management, that's hard to do because – Priority differentiation is a question of giving more resources to what's more important, not waiting for the most resource-intensive work to grab it, which is what will happen. Just like on the roads, the big trucks are going to barrel their way through, and if you're a little bicycle, you know, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so enforcement of these business rules is a very important thing that workload management does. And those business rules shift, you know, they're not stable. You may have noticed... You mentioned the interesting example of a report that has to run at end of month. I mean, I assume that most of the time it's, it's not critical that that gets any significant time in the system. But I suppose at the end of the month, it really is important that that report runs in some constrained amount of time. That's true. And in, in the workload management here at Teradata, where I've been involved in my career... We have very simple ways we can automate the change in priorities so that just those six hours Monday morning or just those four hours at month end, we can automatically shift the priorities so that the work that has that priority gets 
a ton of resources behind it for a, a short amount of time. And other things will be moved down in the priority for their execution. Can you give me an idea in a, in a really large Teradata system? Because I know that we service uh, customers with some of the, the biggest data and analytics needs in the world. We do. How many customers or how many jobs, how many queries might they be running in a minute or an hour? I mean, what kind of volume are we talking? You know, the volume of the very short are in the millions and many of our customers, our larger customers, ones that are supporting things like call centers or package tracking. Millions in a day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm talking one second or sub-second requests. But the majority of the requests running that are using most of the resources, we're, we're not going to see millions of those a day. There may be 30 or 40 of those a day. There may be hundreds of those a day. Uh, there may be thousands of those a day. It really is hard to quantify that, Charles, in any kind of uh, universal way. But what I have found is everybody has what I call background work, which is important to the business, but it's not tied to a specific elapsed time expectation. Would that include things like data scientists? Yeah, exploratory things, okay. many types of what we call ad hoc queries. Meaning kind of one-off? Yeah, one-off. Somebody thought of this question today and they're doing some analysis of the business. May never ask that question again. Mm. But it doesn't have to be run immediately and it doesn't have to be run on a super high priority. Got it. So it's kind of like, give me what resources you can right now, given everything else that's happening in this world. Right. And then when it comes time to operationalize some of that ad hoc work, how does a company decide what gets what priority? Who makes that decision? Well, usually what we have, uh, what I've seen be very effective is there's groups of people in the company and at least one person representing each end user application area. Uh, sometimes there's also a high-level executive sponsor that's involved. And they sit down and determine what the various relative priorities are of the different work and what needs to run at a higher priority when. And then they'll just chart that out and, and make sense of it. And we have a way to apply those business decisions to our workload management. Yes, there's a lot of flexibility um, in the workload management options that are offered, but they also can be implemented in a very simple way if your needs are simple. For instance, everyone on a Teradata system has at least four distinct priorities by default, and they have a high super priority uh, for the sub-second queries. These are levels built into the These system. Are, this is built-in workload management. And then if you want more sophisticated options, we have a feature that comes with our enterprise data warehouse platforms that offers you significant uh, additional options. For instance, here's an interesting option that I don't really see too many other um, database companies offer, and it's something we call workload exceptions. In Teradata, each type of work, each application is called a workload, and it has in our workload management setup, the workload is the main control block. When a query is running, its characteristics are going to map to one and only one workload. And that's the workload that's going to determine that request priority when it's running. But these priorities are a little fluid. A request maps to, let's say, a high priority. But it ends up executing and exhibiting uh, 
execution characteristics that make it suitable for a lower priority. For instance, maybe it's very resource intensive once it gets going, uh. and it was hard to predict that ahead of time. So it ended up starting at a high priority. But we can create a workload management rule that's called an exception mm -hmm. on that high-priority workload. And when a certain threshold of CPU is reached, then that query would be automatically demoted to a lower priority. Wow. So that's changing the workload priority right. during execution. During execution on the fly. Now, the rule has to be defined by the administrator for that to happen. This seems like an incredibly effective way to kind of prevent out-of-control queries from eating up all the resources for an afternoon? Well, it's like if you're out on the highway and you see some jerk driving 85, 90 miles an hour, <laughs> yeah. dashing in and out of traffic. Right? Wouldn't it be nice to automatically pick him up and put him over in the oh, slow I, lane I behind, dream of that. behind the trucks? I dream of that. I dream of real life <laughs> workload management. But there's a lot of those kind of subtleties um, that can be implemented and integrated in the workload management rule set. Yeah, that's really cool. So you have a, a certain set of workload priorities that are built in, and those would be my training wheels as a new Teradata user. <laughs> I mean, that would make it really easy for me. I'd say, well, this one's higher priority, and I, I use those four. And then one day I notice, oh my gosh, uh, this particular kind of query is killing some other resource. And so you can implement the exception to kind of handle that kind of uh, Right. Interesting case. And, and often these workload exceptions are implemented after there's evidence that they're needed. Mm. And here's another really interesting <laughs> workload management rule sort of along that line. Yeah. We call it a filter. Now, filter has a word in, in the technical world that has a lot of different meanings. But let me explain exactly what the meaning in workload management is for filter. So a filter rule looks at all the characteristics of a query, including who submitted the query, what tables it touches in the database, whether it's using any um, UDFs or stored procedures or, or any table operators, or if it's going to a remote server. It looks at all aspects of the query, including its query plan. And the filter rule has all this information. And what it does is it decides whether or not this query can be run. Now, this sounds a little odd. Why would you want to reject a query that's about to execute in the database? How did you know database? I was going to ask that? <laughs> well, <laughs> because I always ask myself that. <laughs> and the reason that you might want to do that, let me give you a couple of examples of how customers have used filter rules. Um, this was an insurance company I spoke with, and they had end users that were not well-trained. And so occasionally they would code SQL that had joins between tables, but they neglected to code the join conditions. And so what happens when you do that in SQL is that you get what we call an unconstrained product join, where every row on one table will join to every other row on the opposing table. And so you get a real mess. And it's extremely CPU intensive to do that, and it's usually not what you wanted anyway. So the answer is usually worthless. So they put a filter rule to catch those kinds of things. But in this case, the insurance company did that themselves. They did that themselves. Once they noticed that they're sort of novice. Yeah, their novice end users were doing that. So they put this filter rule in place that rejected any query that didn't have the proper coding involved. It didn't have the join constraints in it. And their query wouldn't run, and they would get an error message back. 
But it was a meaningful error message, and it was, you know... Was it like, call Bob, who's going to tell you how to do queries correctly? <laughs> you, yes, you dummy. Can, you, they, can you actually specify? Um, it tells you your query, the query condition uh-huh. that led to the query being rejected. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And you can also put filter rules in warning mode before you make them operational, and therefore, you can see which users are hitting this threshold oh, or, nice. or would be rejected when you uh, activated the yeah. filter rule. And then you can go talk to them. So if you were a friendly yeah. person not, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and wanted to help people, you uh-huh. could just identify the, the, the end users that had some problems coding their SQL. That's nice. So you can kind of pre-flight the effect this will have on your end users. Right. Very right. Cool. You can predict. So, so that's been uh, of limited value, but where it's been used, it's been very effective. And mm. let me give you another example of where a filter is very helpful. Telco companies have very large tables that capture every single call that was made. What? They use their call, the call <laughs> detail table. Uh-huh. Call detail table record. Uh, call CDR, call detail record. Uh, this is a typical telco. Maybe there's telcos that don't do this, but they probably all um, do. I'm sure they have a lot of years out there, yeah. Charles. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we always want people that access the call detail table in a query mode to use special indexes or partitioning structures that avoid scanning the entire table because it is so huge. Okay, so we want them to make efficient queries. We want them to ask for the data from that particular call detail record table efficiently because it would be chewing up tremendous resources if we let them scan that table And so filter rules can prevent them from accessing that particularly large table unless they're using an index to go in efficiently. And so that's, again, it's a business decision that that's the right thing to do for a company. Often it's based on the particular applications and the usernames maybe, so that some users may be able to go in there to the call detail record and do whatever they want, but other users have to use indexed access or go through a certain view or, or whatever. Are there queries that are so obviously universally incorrect that we provide default filters of any kind? Uh, we do not provide default filters. And I think that's a good idea, Charles, because every business is different. And every business wants to enforce workload management differently, slightly differently, although there's some commonalities. And when you reject a query, that's a pretty big hammer uh, to, to use against uh-huh. your end users. One thing we found is sometimes long, resource-intensive, ugly queries that maybe they're even poorly written. But sometimes those are the most important business questions to be asking the database and have potentially a very high value. So you don't, out of the box, want to squelch them if, you, if you're not absolutely right. sure. That makes sense. So that's why a lot of customers shy away from using things like filter rules because they really do want to support any query anytime. Yeah. And, and, and Teradata is usually capable of doing a good job at that. So it's interesting. I, I assume that as the business grows, uh, the more data they're wrangling, the more analytics they're doing, the more they, they probably really get excited by, by this workload management feature. Well, if you're only, again, let me just reiterate a point I made earlier. If that's the only kind of work you're doing on your database, on your box, on your hardware, 
then you probably are not going to get as much advantage from workload management. But once you start bringing in advanced analytics inside the database and you want to run that pretty heavy work, CPU and memory intensive work, at the same time as your call center application, at the same time as your business reports, your inventory applications, your dashboard applications, that's where workload management is absolutely essential. You will not be able to do that and also deliver important reports, important dashboard queries and so forth at the same time. And that's one of the things that Teradata customers have really pushed us to continue to evolve workload management because they want to have that single version of the truth. They want to operate on that same image of the data for their call center, for their business reports, for their analytic queries. And there's a huge advantage in doing that. And they want to support all these users that are doing radically different things to try to uh, reach radically different goals. Yes, Con- sometimes conflicting goals. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it, it's funny, I have to say this. When you sit down with an end user and you say, we're trying to sort out priorities and what priority, oh, my stuff is always extremely high priority. Sure, of course. Everybody's work is extremely high priority. And so that's the role of the priority administrator and the executive sponsor is, is to make the business first <laughs> and yeah. everybody fits in to what is important to the business at that time of day. Right. Our big customers typically will have 30, 40, maybe more distinct different workloads active at the same time. Wow. And so it's a busy, busy... Right. No, it's a busy city. Busy, busy city. Yeah. But uh, the other advantage to workload management that I had not mentioned is it actually does increase overall throughput. Can you explain that? More? How does workload management improve throughput? Well, workload management can improve throughput because it can regulate the incoming work. And it's like anything. You've been to one of those conferences where there's long food lines, right? Mm. When you only have one food line. Right. And you open it up, you get more parallel food lines going. Everybody gets serviced faster. But when you have too much demand, then things get queued up. And then the start and stop time, just to go back to the highway again, there's an accident on the road ahead of you. So everybody kind of gets stopped for a while till they figure out what lane to get into. And then just the simple act of changing lanes slows traffic down. Then the traffic, the, the, the disabled cars pull to the side of the road. It takes maybe a half hour before the road gets back to normal because there's a lot of startup and stopping and people don't immediately all start at the same Mm -hmm, speed, mm -hmm. right? There's a ramp up time. So if your system gets congested, it's not unlike traffic conditions where there's just too much work and it can't all be accommodated at the same time. So then you get a lot of swapping in and out of CPU and IO, different people's turns at different times. We have found through a lot of testing and customer testimonials that if you can regulate the flow of work entering the database so that it matches what you consider a desirable level of concurrency, you will actually improve your throughput. And I've been involved firsthand in in testing this. And every platform has a sweet spot of concurrency. With workload management, you can decide who gets the concurrency at any point in time and how many of each type of query you want to run. And if you've got advanced analytics that are doing things like NPATH and Sessionize 
uh, things that are very complex, you might only want to run one or two of those at the same time in your database if you've got a mixed workload running at the same time. And so by regulating the concurrency levels Mm -hmm. of the different types of work, that has proven to actually improve overall throughput in the platform. And it also has an interesting side effect because if you're delaying some queries because you've already reached your your max, which these, what we call throttle rules will do, Mm -hmm. then the requests that are active have more access to resources and they can finish sooner. And sometimes this delay is only a couple of seconds, but what it does is it eliminates peaks and valleys. It smooths out peaks and valleys across a 24-hour period. So instead of having real high demand and then low demand and medium demand and up and down, which is typical in a mixed workload, especially when you have ad hoc queries and they're coming in at unpredictable times, smoothing out those peaks and valleys means your overall platform utilization is up. You're not wasting resources at times of low demand, and you're not overloading the system at times of extremely unplanned for high demand. So you have all this sort of extra uh, CPU and I.O. that you're effectively recovering because instead of the low lows where there's a lot of, I guess, waste, a lot of CPU and I.O. not being used, all that's being used. It'll tend to be used more if you've got throttles. And throttles are sort of like those um, on-ramp metering and freeways. Especially at rush hour, we, we don't let new cars get on the road if until the road's that full. <laughs> yeah, at well, a I, wish have, I wish there were more sensitivity <laughs> to those meters. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, uh, but the point is that it doesn't let cars on the road at a rate faster than it can accommodate. Believe that it can accomplish, right. Right. I do have a, a rather interesting throttles story. And it, it, would you mind if I just no, uh, please, go do, into do this? No, please, do tell. It stuck with me after all these years. This was a bank in California uh, that I had been working with on their workload management. And they did something rather creative. They had a problem with one employee. And the problem was this. Um, the, the employee left work at 4.30 every day. And when this employee left, he submitted 20 pretty complex workload-intensive queries, but he didn't really care about getting the answer back uh, until he came in the next morning. And this was running kind of at a medium priority, so it, you know, the system took it seriously, and they were not using throttles in any big way at mm. that time. So they looked at the pattern of this guy, and it was pretty much the same 20, 25 queries at 4.30 every day, and they were kind of impacting other work on the system, or certainly in that workload. And so they came up with the idea of creating a customized throttle rule just for this one user. And so they used uh, what we call classification criteria, which is the characteristics that must be met for this throttle rule to be enforced. And in this case, they just used the username Uh (laughs) as classification for this throttle. The Bob rule. The Bob rule. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Bob didn't even know what was going on. He put his 20 queries in, sure. but only they only let one run at a time. Okay. So they ran like three-fourths of the night. They were all done by the time he came in in the morning, but they were single-threaded through. Mm. And that had a much more minimal impact on other active work in the system. And he didn't know the difference. Nice. He didn't know he was throttled. He yes. was happy. And I do have another filter story as well. <laughs> great. <laughs> These are all coming back to me, Oh, Charles. great. Yeah. <laughs> Memories. Uh, talking to you is such an inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Um, 
this was a company. It was actually one of the studios out here in California. And um, they had users who were not uh, entitled to log onto the database, the production system, and run queries. And so what these people would do is uh, they would borrow a logon and a password from a coworker, <laughs> and, and they would submit their queries. Huh? And so the DBA understood what was happening, saw this pattern, looked at the logging information that we provide, and saw this was happening and saw these users were logging in from IP addresses for people that didn't have privileges. Bad users. And so they set up a special filter rule, and they used just those IP addresses, which you can set up rules based on specific IP addresses, yes. source of the where the login happened. Okay. And all those people were then rejected. Their queries were rejected from that point Aww. on. So... Sometimes you have to use the big hammer, <laughs> yeah. but you have the to kind of hammer. use it surgically. Sure, absolutely. That's, <laughs> That's great. That's a, a mixed metaphor, I'm No, afraid. I think anything that makes users play nice with security is, is a good thing. So those are some of the individual ways people have taken advantage of some of the options that are in workload management. So it seems like it's pretty easy to get into because we provide those four levels initially. And it's, it's kind of nice because you can kind of organically solve either problems you're having or, or use it to kind of uh, optimize other parts of the system that need to run with extremely tight SLAs. And, and that's true, um, Charles. People typically will start off with maybe one or two workloads. But Teradata systems always grow. I mean, they tend to grow and they tend to bring in new workloads. Mm. And then you need more workload management. So it's usually a gradual process of, of working from the, the simple options to the more complex options. And then it's just the ones you actually need to support your, your business needs. I, I keep being told you know, by, by people inside of Teradata and customers that workload management is one of the defining features of why Teradata platform is so great. I mean, that's something I didn't realize being on the outside because it tends to have more of a focus. As you say, when you have the busiest city or busiest highway in the world, you need this. You, you not only need it, you really can't function without it, Charles. And because Teradata has supported so many complex applications from Fortune 500 companies, they're doing a mix of work on their platforms, and it is mission critical to them they have got to deliver their dashboard queries within the time that's expected. They have got to deliver their critical business applications in the time that's required. They simply would not be able to run their business and the part of their business they're running on Teradata without robust and experienced and sophisticated workload management at their disposal. So it's not a luxury. It's an absolute necessity. Carrie, thank you for indoctrinating me into the religion of workload management. I am a believer. Well, you know, Charles, I have to say, sometimes a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, so I'm not sure you're ready for the driver's seat Oh, yet. no, I am. I am. And I'm going to take that car on the highway and do workload management and just move cars over to the side. <laughs> well, safe driving to you, Charles. It's been a delight speaking with you. Thanks, Carrie. <laughs> okay, did we do okay? This has been Datacast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like the show, you can help us out by reviewing it in your podcast app of choice and by recommending it to friends. All they need to do is search for Teradata or Datacast in their favorite podcast app. To learn more about how Teradata transforms how businesses work and how people live through the power of data, visit us at teradata.com.